0: study in Numbers. So open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 23. We're going to look at two chapters tonight because these two chapters together have all four of these different prophecies of Balaam. Now last week we spent our whole evening on chapter 22, which is Balaam and his talking donkey. And if you have a King James Bible, it's, so, it's fun to read that story with the King James Bible it's hilarious, and it really is interesting. It's just a funny account, I mean, when you really take into account all of the different aspects of the story. But it's a very serious story in that, that the, uh, this false prophet Balaam is really having a true encounter with the living God. And uh, God is preserving his people. We're going to see that again tonight, how God loves his people. He's chosen his people. He's protecting his, his people but uh, tonight, we're going to look at the prophecies of Balaam in these two chapters, uh, beginning in chapter 23. So with your Bible open, let's ask God's blessing, and we'll jump right into it. Father, how grateful we are for the Word. And I know that uh, there are many in this room tonight that have the weekend off. Uh, tonight just is the beginning of a, a long weekend, and, and uh, we're looking forward, Lord, to just resting and enjoying, uh, just being outside, maybe a barbecue, maybe being with family, and And friends, Lord, I I pray as uh, men and women of God that we would uh, share the gospel, that we would live for you, that we would enjoy the freedom that you've given us here in this great nation. And what a blessing, Lord, it is to celebrate uh, this nation this weekend. And tonight, Lord, as we uh, study the word, I pray that you would speak to us. I don't know where each person is coming from. Some Uh, have been sick some have gone through difficulties we've had uh, death in our fellowship Lord separation from family and I just pray God that you would just meet each individual where they're at as you always do that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us as we study the word together and that you would be glorified in Jesus we pray amen again we come to this uh story about Balaam. He's really one strange dude in that he's hard to figure out because he's he's a false prophet. He he does everything for money. That's all he cares about is money. And the reason these prophecies go on and on is because Balak, the king, won't let him go. He wants the children of Israel cursed, and God will not allow that. On the other hand, you have Balaam. He doesn't want to let go Balak because that's his money stream. That's his income. He doesn't want to let that go, so he he wants to keep going, and finally, God's going to wear him out by the end of the, the these prophecies in chapter 24 tonight. We'll see that, but uh, Balaam is a man that I've shared with you last week. He, we see his name 40 times in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament, but whenever he's mentioned in the New Testament, it's always with apostasy or false prophet or someone that apostasy really just means you've turned away from the faith. Someone that that has gone and been a participant, maybe swept up in a movement or, or in a church for a short time, but then they turn away, they fall away, apostatize. We see that in Jude 11. Notice this verse behind me on the screen. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. So we don't know how he became a prophet. There's no uh, history of him in the Bible, but he was a well-known prophet in this day and time because King Balak, way down in the southern area of this area of, of Mesopotamia, this area of uh, southern Canaan, they, he knew all about this guy, who was from way far up in the north. So everybody knew about this man, Balaam. When he cursed somebody, they were cursed. When he blessed somebody, they were blessed. And the whole nation knew that about this guy. Again, it's hard. he's, he's just hard to kind of figure out, but his reputation, he was well-known uh, in the area. Again, go back to chapter 22 real quick. Just look at verse 6, where King Balak says about Balaam, for I know, chapter 22, verse 6, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So Balak believes that whoever Balaam speaks about is going to receive either a blessing or a curse, and it'll happen. So he sends his elders way north to find him and bring him back because he wants these people that are in his land, the children of Israel, the 2 million campers there in his land, he wants them wiped out. And he knows that he can't do it militarily. They're, the children of Israel outnumber the, t- the people of Moab, five ten to 1. And he knows he can't wipe them out militarily. He, but every soothsayer has his price. So in order to get Balaam to come down and curse the children of Israel, Balak has to offer him lots of money. So he sends a whole group of guys up there with lots of money and food and camels, you know, they're probably packed full of stuff to entice him. And and finally, although God says, don't go down there, that was God's first response. And that's the first thing Balaam tells Balak's uh, wise men, he says, I'm not going down there because God told me, no, I can't go down there. He said, you guys return. So they go back and tell Balak, and Balak sends him with more booty, more money. And, and Balaam is like, yeah, I can make money, so I'm going to go down there. Even though God says don't go down there, he does anyway. So he's out of the will of God. He's apostate. He's not a true prophet at all, and, and he proves that. Um, as we study him or look at his life. Look at verse 12 there of chapter 22. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with him. You shall not curse the people. So God is very clear. There's there's no doubt that God said, don't go there. And there's a, a perfect will of God. But Balaam operates in what some call today the permissive will of God. It's kind of made up by our human flesh, right? We, 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 it, there's no It's a gray area, Pastor Lee. I can, I can go to Vegas as many times as I want. I can spend my money the way I want. I can drink whatever I want. Well, you really can, but is it the will of God? That's, that's the question, and Balaam operated in that place, so I think you're on kind of shaky ground there. I, I'm not going to tell you you're a sinner. That's between you and the Lord. You can do what you want with your money, you can drink whatever you want, but is it the best thing? Is it the right thing? And Balaam was operating in that so-called permissive will of God by going down there. And he he gives, interestingly, that's why he's a strange prophet. He, he hears from God, and he actually gives some prophecies that are true. it's it's, it's he's just a strange uh, animal. All I can learn from that, I think all that any of us can learn from that is that anybody can put on a a robe, the Dalai Lama, and pretend to be spiritual. Mother Teresa, Gandhi, the list goes on and on. They're spiritual people, right? We wouldn't doubt that, but are they really doing God's will? Are they really following God? I mean, anybody can do that. Remember the Magi? The Magi who came when Jesus was proclaimed to be born and they were following a star. Remember the Magi? They were the same kind of people. They were, they were religious. Everybody recognized them that way. And they were trying to find Jesus. They brought expensive gifts to give him, but they didn't know the true and, the true and living God. But they looked spiritual and they acted spiritual. There's lots of those kind of people. Balaam, again, he hears from Jehovah, there's no doubt about it, when we read about him, but he's just a sham. God speaks to him, but it's, it's all, it's kind of like, he's kind of like Judas Iscariot. Remember Judas? Judas was with Jesus, he hung out with Jesus, but remember what his main job was? Judas, what did he do? He carried something, the purse, the money. And we find out that Jesus, or that Judas sold Jesus for just a few pieces of silver, right? Judas is really a lot like Balaam, Balaam and and Judas. There's no doubt that Balaam knew Jehovah just like Judas knew Jesus Christ. Balaam loved money, the rewards of a prophetic gift. Judas loved money, the treasures of the disciples. Judas objected to Mary breaking the expensive bottle of perfume to anoint Jesus, which, by the way, is our lesson on Sunday. That's what we're coming to that place this Sunday, we're going to see the players around the cross, and we start with this woman that, with her extravagant love, she, she, she breaks this expensive bottle of perfume, and the fragrance fills the house, and everybody knows. And she's anointing Jesus' body for his burial just a couple of days before he's going to die. And Judas was like, oh, we could have sold the money. We could, we could, have, we could have given the money to the poor. We could have done all this work. You know, he, he wasn't about the poor at all was a liar. He just wanted money. Judas was a false apostle, just like Balaam is a false prophet. Look at verse 35 of chapter 22 before we jump into the next chapter. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word I speak to you that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So that's where we left off last time. And uh, he's going to go. Even though he knows he shouldn't go, he's going to go anyway. He's in it for the money. And uh, finally, at the end of chapter 22, he meets Balak. So we have Balaam and Balak face to face. And we begin in verse 1 this evening with Balaam's pagan altars. Notice, then Balaam said to Balak, the king, build seven altars. So this, this man that's got this phony spiritual Way. He says, I want you to build seven altars. That's interesting, seven. He said, build them for me here and prepare seven bulls. That's interesting as well, because we know that's true about the children of Israel. And Balak, verse 2, did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each of the altars. So you have seven bulls and seven rams. Now, the number seven in the Bible is very significant. So he's copycatting Something else that he's heard about. Remember, he's a false prophet. And then Balaam said to Balak, verse 3, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come and meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to the, notice this phrase too, the desolate heights. Remember in our study of Jeremiah, when you study the Old Testament prophets, the minor and the major prophets, whenever you see a high place, or a desolate place. That's a place where pagans went to offer their sacrifices. It spoke of a little mountain somewhere that people would go up to the mountain and they would burn something. They would burn an animal, kill an animal, kill a baby, whatever it is. And they would sacrifice to a pagan god. So that's, uh, we see that throughout the Bible. That's that's what this reference is here. Uh, uh, It's a reference to pagan worship. But Balaam's following some traditional methods. Um, they would have been traditional with the children of Israel and God's prescribed way to to do a a sacrifice, but also the Oriental diviners and soothsayers would have done the same thing. They would have had people bring a a sacrifice, and of course they would eat part of the sacrifice or gain some of that. That was part of their payment, but they would sacrifice something on a high place or a desolate, desolate place. So Balaam... You've heard me mention this before, but I think he's kind of like a wizard. He's not really, he's a false prophet, so he's not real. So he's a, he does all these weird things. And uh, he does prophesy for the Lord, though. That's, that's what's really interesting. He's a heathen, he's a non believer, he's an idolater, he's a sorcerer. That's why he's on the heathen places making these sacrifices. So Balaam is, is using seven altars to burn seven bulls. And that resembles true worship, which is, again, that's why it's so, he's such an interesting study. He's heard about it. He's read about it. Rahab, the, right across the river, in, that's where the children of Israel are. They're on, the, they're on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land when all this stuff's going on. They're about ready to go in. Jericho's right on the other side of the river, just a few miles away. In fact, when you go to Israel, and I've been there, and I hope maybe you plan to go there in 2020 with us, when you're, we go to Jericho, you can almost see the Jordan, but when you're in the Jordan River, you can look back and see Jericho. It's not that far away. And so Rahab was in, in um, Jericho, and Rahab the harlot is the one, and we'll read about her in Joshua when we get there. She knew all about the children of Israel. She knew the, the danger they posed as a nation. She knew that they had defeated the other nations around. The, the, the word around town was... Don't mess with the children of Israel. So they, they all knew, and, and obviously Balaam knows as well. And he's dabbling now in divination and sorcery and burning, you know, those animals up there on the high places. He's looking maybe for some phenomena of God. That's what the wizards and sorcerers would do. You know, the, the wind would blow the smoke in a certain direction, and they would read and define that as something happening in your life. Or they'd read your palm, you know, Miss, Madam you know, Madam Sonia up on Del Rosa, whatever, you know, some tarot card reader. They've always been around. They they do it for money. But he's seeking. He's seeking right now. He's burning something. And then notice the first prophecy here in verse four. And God met Balaam. That's what's so interesting about this guy. God met Balaam and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each Altar, a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, "Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak." So he goes up there and he he offers these these sacrificial bulls on these seven altars, and God speaks to him, puts a word in his mouth. It's just so interesting. The guy's wicked; he's a wizard, but God still speaks to him. Which, again, I think that's normal. When you study the Bible, you'll see God speaking to. False prophets, God uses all kinds of people that have a spiritual air and that you think that they're, wow, that guy's really, look, he's got this great big ministry on TV and he shares Jesus. The rest of the stuff is really questionable, but he shares Jesus and people come to Christ. It's amazing. It's always amazed me. And some of these false prophets on TV or the radio, even nowadays, people actually get saved. And then they, they claim that it's, it's their ministry, and, and then you listen to other things of their ministry, and it's false. It's apostate. But God does it. I, it's just God. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by, by a righteous preacher, which I would hope that I would be a biblical and righteous preacher. And you have a, another guy that's speaking blasphemy, and people are coming to Christ. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It just, again, proves that we're saved by grace, but God can use a donkey, he can use me. I love that. And so Balak. Balaam returns to Balak and, and uh, shares the prophecy. They're anxious to hear. Verse 6. So he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle, it's Mashal, in Hebrew, it means prophecy. Oracles is synonymous to a prophecy. And he said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, which is modern-day Syria. So he was up in the north there. From the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? So again, Everybody gets there, and they're anticipating the curse of the children of Israel. They're all leaning in, you know, and he says, how can I curse what God hasn't cursed? How can I denounce whom God has not denounced? So I'm sure that Balak and the wise men, all those people that were there, they all have their money, their booty. They're going to lay it on this guy for cursing the children of Israel. So when he says, how can I curse who's not cursed? They're all stepping back away from him now. They're not going to pay him. I, you can just almost see the whole thing play out. Instead of cursing God's people, he blesses God's people. And he says that God's going to make them a great nation. Verse 9, for from the top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him. He's looking down at Israel. they are people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob. That's a neat poetic way. You notice in your Bible right now how the paragraphs are changed? Notice how it's written in your Bible. And it's, it's written in a very poetic way. This is, these, these are Israel's, the Hebrew poetry is, is repetitious, and you'll see these repetition uh, phrases throughout here. But that, this is poetry when you're looking at it in your Bible and, and it's all broken up like this. It's, it's just the way that it's to be read and this prophecy in the way, the prophecy came across here. But again, he says, the, you can count, who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Which is a real interesting phrase there. But Balaam, he, he says, you know, if my, if my prophecy isn't true, let me die the death of the righteous. Meaning, he sees himself as righteous, as a prophet. He sees himself as doing the right thing, but he's not doing the right thing. Why? Because God said, don't go, and he went. He's, he's already disobeyed God. And God says, don't prophesy against my people, and he's doing it. He's trying to do it, but God won't give him the words to say. God's halting him and stopping him because God loves Israel. He's not going to allow this to happen. And so he's proven himself, Balaam has proven himself as an unrighteous man, but he wants to be counted with the righteous here. That's what he's saying there. He knows deep in his heart he's wrong. He knows he's doing the wrong thing. But publicly, let you know, me die the death of a righteous one. Balaam I mean, again, Scripture makes it very clear. Look at Romans 5 here behind me on the screen. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in the condemnation. Even through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. The only way to be righteous is not through being religious. That's what he's trying to do, by doing religious things and acts. Again, I'm not... Trying to, I'm just using an example, but like the Dalai Lama or the Pope or any of these, they look religious. They lead these massive religious organizations, but I believe that they're, they're unscriptural teachings. They've turned away from the true faith, from the true God. They think they're righteous in, in their deeds and what they do, but like Paul says here in Romans 5. One man's righteous act, that's Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to embrace it and live it. This man, he didn't embrace anything. He was living for money. That's all he cared about is making money. The only way to be righteous for you and for me is to receive Christ, to receive the free gift. You'll see that over and over in the Scripture, by the way, the free gift. Why is the gift free? Because you have to act. You have to you have to receive the gift of eternal life. You're not just saved because you were born in a family. You're not just saved because you think you are. You're not just saved because you go to church. You're saved because you receive the free gift of eternal life that's offered to you by the Lord. That's the only way to be righteous. Balaam, he believes in money. He believes he's righteous. Can not account my life with the righteous? When I die, I want to be accounted by the righteous. But he was just in it for the money. He's looking for the money. And then verse 11, Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? Why is he saying that? Because I hired you to curse him, and you're not cursing him. What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you've blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? So Balaam, He's bummed to speak the truth, he, but he has to. He's, he's restricted by God. God is supernaturally working through him. He can't even control himself. He wants to curse, but he can't curse. All he can do is, is bless the people. And then notice Balaam's second prophecy here in verse 13. Then Balaam said to him, please come to another place. Or Balak said, Let's go to a different place. Maybe we can get a different vantage point. Maybe we can come up on a different mountain and, and you'll see what I see and you, you'll curse them from a different place there and you'll see the outer part of them and they shall not see them at all. Curse them for me here. Come on, come on. I want you to curse them. Very interesting. When you read this story, though, I, I, I think of how does a Christian, think about this, how does a other Christian view you or how does other Non-believers view you. They see you at work. They see you at home. They see you with your family, or they see you at a party. Whatever they see you, what do they see when they see you? Balak is used to this as a king. Well, maybe we get a different perspective on that person. We'll have a different view of them. That's what he's trying. But people see us as Christian. I, I believe God puts us in a place where we're to be seen. And it's important for us to live a life that emulates Christ. We're supposed to live like Jesus and speak like Jesus. What if you go to a party and you act a little bit different? You're not quite the Christian that you purport to be. What do people see when they see you from a different angle? Again, when you're tempted, when you're with your family and you are building something together and you hit your Thumb with that big old fat hammer. What happens? What comes out of your mouth? (laughs) I just think it's interesting that this Balak, he's corrupt. He's trying to get a different view on the children of Israel. But how does the world see us? I think it's a great question. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, verse 14, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven more altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. He does that every time, by the way. He builds the altars, and, and then the offering happens, and then he walks away to speak to God. Very interesting. And he said to Balak, again, stand here. And then the Lord met him, verse 16, and put a word in his mouth. So, again, Balaam can't control what he's saying because God is controlling his mouth. Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering. And all the princes of Moab, they're all leaning in again. Okay, we're ready for the curse, ready for the curse. That's that's what they're waiting for there. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord said? What what is it? What's going on? Again, what I love about this story is, when you think about the children of Israel in the past 38 years wandering through the wilderness, what do you think? What do you remember? Whining, complaining, sin, the whole nation. They've been whining the whole time, and God has judged them several times. I mean, they're not perfect people at all. They don't even deserve God's grace. In some ways, they need to be cursed, and, but God's not going to allow it. God has chosen these people. God has accepted these people. And now this prophecy comes right from God through the lips of this, this prophet here, verse 18. Then he took up his prophecy or oracle and he said, rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. So this is God speaking through Balaam. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and he will not do? Uh, not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. That's an interesting thought. I mean, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen iniquity in Jacob. That's a reference to the children of Israel. Jacob's name was slash changed to Israel. These are Israel's offspring, the the 12 tribes. And he says, it's interesting. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. Interesting nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a unicorn. If you have a King James, you'll see that word unicorn. A new King James NIV, it's a wild ox. But the word is really interesting. It's, I think you could call it a rhinoceros. That's kind of what I see when I unicorn. He's talking about this powerful white wild ox here. And I, I see a rhinoceros. Verse 23, For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. That's what they were trying to do. He's a wizard. He's trying to do something. Curse them. God's not going to allow it. He says, you're not going to do that. No sorcery, nor divination against Israel. It must, or now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look what God has done. Even though they've blown it, they've, made mistakes. This really confirms God's sovereign choosing his people. He took Abraham out of an idolatrous uh, family. Abraham's father was an idolater. And blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And from Jacob, you have the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. These people that were far from perfect, but God had chosen them. And God separated them out from all the nations of the world. That's why in verse 23 it says, For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor just divination against Israel. When you study the Old Testament, the Scriptures confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has chosen the people of Israel. There's no doubt about it. And I believe that God changes times or epochs but he doesn't change his way or his love or his grace. And he chose Israel, and he's going to deal with Israel. When you study, I've said this on Sunday morning, but when you study Revelation, it's not for the church. It's for Israel. Because the last thing God does is deal with his people. And what does he do? How does he deal with with his people? Through all the chaos and catastrophic and cataclysmic uh, uh, judgments that come through the bowl and the vials and all the trumpet judgments that come that come upon man from Revelation 6 to 19. God also sends 144,000 faithful witnesses with the message of the Messiah is Jesus. The two witnesses that can't be killed until God allows it, and then they're, they're raised from the dead, right in the full view of the world. They're Jewish people. This is the revival of the Jewish people. God is dealing with his people. Israel. And he will deal with them, and the Bible makes it very clear. Don't, don't ever stop praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of God's people. I'm glad that our president, even the last time, his la- last year, he, he made the consulate. Every other president could have done that, but they didn't because they were chicken. And Trump made the, I've been by the, the uh, uh, embassy there in Jerusalem. It's kind of, it was all overgrown, and, and there was some American flag there, but it was kind of hidden back by this, this uh, hotel that we stayed at. But now, that's, that's where the embassy is, and he's proclaimed that. And I, I, it's important for us as a nation to support these people. And again, when you look at throughout the Scripture, God always has his hands on them. So He's got his hand on these people right now. That's the beautiful truth. Even though they're disobedient, even though they've done the wrong thing, God says, you are not going to curse my people. These are mine. In Exodus chapter 19, I love what God tells Moses. Notice behind me here. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel children of Israel are God's special people. He separated them out from all the nations of the world. They're distinct people. They're his people, God's chosen people. And what's interesting is that his people rejected him. They turned from him, and they chose a a murderer, Barabbas, in his place, and he died on the cross. All part of God's sovereign plan. Why? While Israel is blind and didn't see their Messiah, God opened up his grace to who? Who did he open up to? The Gentiles. Gentiles. Amen. That's where you and I all come in, because we're Gentiles, and I, I love that. The grace of God. He deals with his people Israel sets them kind of aside so that he can save. And, and there are some Jews that get saved. There, there's Messianic Jews. They're wonderful people. They love the Lord, and they love their traditions as well. But it's, it's during this rejection of, of the Messiah for the last 2,000 years that God has done this great thing. And what has he done? He's taken you as a Gentile. And he's grafted you in to his family. It's a beautiful picture. It's in Romans chapter 11. Notice here, you will say then, Paul is writing here in Romans. You can read the whole thing in Romans 11. It's gorgeous. But you shall say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So Paul is saying, as a Jew, he's saying to you Gentiles, he says, you understand this too. That the branches were broken off, the the Jews, that I might, as a Gentile, be grafted in. Well said. Because of the unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. So don't be all haughty, this Jewish Paul says, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he might not spare you either. So you better be careful. I love that. We've been grafted in into that. We're spiritual Israel. You could really consider yourself as a Christian. You're spiritual Israel. You've been grafted in. When God has chosen you, like He chose Israel, you're on His side and He'll provide for you and you'll prevail unknowing. I, I've got some thoughts in my heart right now about this, but as the Holy Spirit shares with you, it's the grace of God. He will work through you. You will prevail in that difficulty, that hardship, that the thing that is beyond yourself, and it's just, I can't do anything about it, God. Only you can work. This is, this is our God. This is where he brings us. To the place of standing by faith and trusting in him to do what can't be done in fact isaiah 54 here's a great verse you have heard this and read this no weapon that is prepared against thee shall prosper and every tongue that rises against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn this is the inheritance of the servants of jehovah and their righteousness is of me saith jehovah God promised his people, and God promises you as a Christian. There's no weapon formed against you that'll stand. God's protecting you. You have angels around you even now. Some of you have a whole group of angels because you're klutzy in your lane. You need them. Praise God, right? Again, it reminds me of Romans eight twenty-eight. that verse there in, in Isaiah. We know that all things work together. For the good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. That's, that's where we stand as Christians. So these children of Israel, they're whiners, complainers, they, but they belong to God. And God is preserving them. God is not allowing anything to come against them. Verse 24, look, a people rises like a, a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Don't say anything. (laughs) He's losing it here. He's so frustrated right now because he's paying big money to get Balaam to say a curse against Balaam children of Israel, and, and uh, Balaam just says, well, they're going to destroy everybody in their path. They're going to lick up your blood. You know, they're, they're, a bad, they're bad news for you. He goes, well, don't say anything. Don't curse them. Don't bless them. So Balaam answered and said to Balaam, did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? Now, that's God speaking through Balaam because Balaam is disobedient. He left when he shouldn't have, and he went to speak, and he shouldn't say anything. This is God speaking through him, God using this donkey, you could say. Balaam's third prophecy begins here in verse 27 and goes through chapter 24, verse 2. Notice, again, this is the third time, the third prophecy. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Hmm. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them. I mean, he's probably rolling his eyes now like, okay, I'm going to try it with one more time. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, "Build for me here seven more altars." Oh, wait a minute. Balaam said to Balak, "Build for me seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams." That's the same thing. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull on every ram and a ram on every altar. So King Balak. Is going to get an act here. He's going to be part of this whole offering thing. Maybe if I build a fire, maybe if I build the altar, maybe if I do this whole thing. So, so far, three different places, seven bulls, seven rams at each place. So there's been 21 bulls and 21 rams up to this point. He's paying big bucks. It's just showing you he's got lots of money, he's the king. And he wants Israel cursed. Now, chapter 24, verse 1, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery. So the wizard kind of at his wit's end here, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So he walks away from this whole thing. He walks away from the altar and all the, the noise, they're probably dancing around the altars. It's pagan ritual. That's what's happening. So he walks away and Balaam raised his eyes. And he saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. He sees something different when he looks down at the children of Israel. The organization, remember, the, the nation of Israel were, were camped around the tabernacle, very organized. And they had the standard, the banner, and all the people were in rows. It was very, very organized, if you recall when we studied this back in Numbers. And so Balaam goes up, he walks away from the fall to roll and the worship and the Death going on in the pagan worship. And he walks away in the wilderness by himself, and he looks down at the Israelites, and he sees the organization there. God is showing him something, this picture that he looks at now. The children of Israel camped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. This is a real interesting change that's happening here. He's tried to earn his money, He's got this income stream. He's got the, he's down there with this guy. The money's all around him. But he as, as he gets close to the money, he's, he's blessing the people of Israel. And so that money with, is withdrawn. The, the, the people around the king, the noblemen, they step away. They lean in. What's the curse? And oh, he didn't do it again, you know, and they back away from him. And God's third message, notice it begins in verse three. Here's, here's what God spoke to him. He took up his prophecy or oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I mean, very interesting introduction to this, this prophecy, which really is beautiful. God's going to prophesy. It's messianic in a sense, and it's its future uh, about the dominance of the children of Israel and the nation, in the world here. We see that in this prophecy. But mostly it speaks of this abiding blessing of God over Israel. Verse 5 How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Remember, he walked out all alone. He looks down and he sees the organization. And God's, God's looking and speaking through this false prophet How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside. You can hear the poetry here, right? Like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seeds shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. There's that that reference to the unicorn again. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. In other words, it happened again. He, he blesses the children of Israel. And it's even worse for Balak, the, the first time, Balaam fails to curse. He kind of balks. And the second time, he blesses Israel. And the third time, he blesses Israel and he curses Balak, saying, you know, that you're going to get wiped out, your blood's going to flow, and, and he's going to be a greater king than Agag. And then in verse 10, notice, Balak's anger, I mean, would you expect anything less at this point? Then Balak's anger, the king, was aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. They're like, stop it, enough. That's what kings do. You know, they clap their hands and everybody moves. I called you to curse my enemies and look, you have bountifully blessed them three times. Now therefore, flee to your place. Get out of here. I said I would greatly honor you. I was going to pay you big bucks. But in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. I'm not giving you a penny. Isn't that interesting? That means, Balaam, you just lost your paycheck. You're not getting anything. So Balaam, verse 12, said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me the first time, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. So he's trying to excuse himself here. He says, I already told you that. This is God's fault. God did this. I was going to come and, and make some money from you. But, but this is God that, that did this to me. He's blaming God here. And he knows if he doesn't come up with something quick, he's going to lose all of his money. So he's going to come up with this real quick little sly game here, this play. The fourth, the fourth prophecy beginning in verse 14. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So he goes, okay, I'll go back to my, you're not going to pay me? I'll go back to my people. In fact, I'm going to tell you what my people are going to do to you in the future, in the latter days. So he's got a plan here. So he took up his oracle. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, he who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. So Balaam, again, he's looking to the future. He's, he's the things that I see, my eyes are open. The Most High, the Almighty, El Shaddai, El Elyon are the words he's using. And he predicts here that Israel is going to defeat not only Balak, but all of the enemies surrounding Israel. Verse 17, I, I see him, but not now. I, I behold him, but, but not near. So he's, it's, it's kind of a cloudy vision. Maybe he's using his sorcery now. Oh, like Madame Sonia, you know. Oh, it's, it's cloudy. Your future is cloudy as I look in the crystal ball. Balaam sees a person. This is really interesting. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, this is where the Messianic prophecy comes, in. you can spend a lot of time here. I'm not going to go deep into this, but this is pretty interesting because Jesus is the star that comes out of Jacob. Jesus is going to rule with righteousness, a scepter in his hand, as king of kings and lord of lords, right? So there's the future there, but there's also the future of the military prowess of Israel through King David. King David is an animal when it comes to war. He's he's wiping out all the people around him, as you recall. King David was a warrior, and he was very prosperous in that. So I, I believe that King David is also in view here and a Notice in verse 17, this latter part there, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. So all these different nations, Seir, also his enemies, shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked at, at Amalek. Remember the Am, uh, Amalekites there? He took up the oracle, the prophecy, he said, Am- Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up the oracle, the prophecy, and he said, firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long shall Asher carries away, you captive? Then he took up the oracle again, a prophecy. Alas, who shall live when God does this? And then this final prophecy is really interesting. Ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and shall, and so Amalek until he perishes. Now, like I said, King David was the one that was the warrior king of Israel, and he wiped out these, these nations that are mentioned here. He'll do it in the future. So the star coming could be the Messianic, could be David, you could go, I mean, you could go as deep as you want in any of those, but I I believe both of those are in view here. And then the ships from Cyprus there, verse 24, could also be Rome, because Rome, remember, Rome was the one that came and finally took over world power. And they had world power when Jesus was born, Rome. So they would have come, ships from Italy and and across the the Mediterranean there and and wiped out all these, these places, Asher. Syria, the Amalekites, history proves that that Rome dominated that whole area. Verse 25, so Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. So they split. They, They leave. They both, they turn from each other. But Balaam leaves this final word with Balak. He he prophesies uh, the the greatness of the nation of Israel, how they're going to wipe out everybody around him. So Balak is like, I give up. You know, he, he walks away and Balaam goes his way. They're both disappointed. Balak wants to defeat Israel and can't do it. He knows he can't do it militarily. They're too strong. So he wants to do it through this curse. Balaam, all he wants is money. So he's got a story. He's got a long trip home. He's going to go through Jericho. Maybe he tells part of his story there. Maybe as he goes back, we don't know, but he's telling the story over and over again. And sometime in the future, according to chapter 31, and we'll get there in a few weeks, Balaam returns to Balak. We don't know exactly how this happened, but we know that that. This happens to the children of Israel. We'll get it next week. But here's the verse. You can go there if you want to. But Numbers 31, verse 16. Here it is behind me. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam. There he is. Through his counsel. They trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of of the Lord. What happened there at Peor was the children of Israel, they're hanging out in the plains of Moab, and they start marrying the Moabites, which was forbidden. They weren't supposed to intermarry. They did it anyway. So for their sexual pleasure, the men of Israel took these wives from Moab, and that was the downfall of the people. Because if you go back to chapter 25, we'll just look at it real briefly before we end tonight. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. Israel remained in the acacia grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of, notice, Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down. God's people bowed down to idols. That's what the message is here. So Israel was joined to Baal, a Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And we'll get into that next week, but see how this all fits together. Balaam, as a false prophet, has He has gone for money, and maybe he got money finally. We don't don't know. But he did all this for money. He apostatized. He lied. He he embellished. But he also spoke the words of the Lord. That's what makes this guy such a strange dude when you study his, his life. And Balaam corrupted the Israelites, and God's judgment came upon the children. We'll read more about that next week. Let's pray. Father, this story is so interesting and there's so many different directions. I pray that the two chapters we read tonight would bring context to our understanding of of this false prophet Balaam and King Balak. Help us to understand, Lord, as we move into the next chapters and, and the narrative, the children of Israel, they turned away from their God. And you're going to deal with them before you bring them into the promised land. Lord, I pray for the believers that are here tonight. As we learn these stories, Lord, and I make application in different ways, I pray that we would get this from the story. Help us to understand, God, that you've chosen us. Because we've received that gift of eternal life in Christ, we have a future. We have a hope, and no weapon formed against us will prosper. No harm will come against us. That everything that happens to us, even even in the the most desperate of conditions, cancer, that we can trust you, and you'll prevail in our lives. Because we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a called-out generation, the people of God. So encourage the hearts of these people here tonight. Bless and encourage them, Lord, and use these wonderful historical accounts from the Old Testament to do so. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.